Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest independent startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe in partnership with Google for Startups. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high-growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There's no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, Chris Jonu here, back at it again, and today we have an episode that is about as big as it gets in Lorraine Tuhill, Chief Marketing Officer at Google, Uh, yep, CMO for Google today, and um, not only does she, you know, not only is she in charge of the Google brand, she's also in charge of the brands for Search, Maps, Photos, Google Assistant, Android, YouTube, Chrome, it's just crazy. Talking about eight products that have a mil a billion, let's say a million, a billion users or more each. It's crazy. Um, and Lorraine goes through her story, her journey as uh, Google's first employee in Europe, scaling the European operation, co-founding Google for startups that powers us, startup grind. Thank you for that. Um, through to managing and building. The brand that is Google, one of the most powerful in the world. Enjoy. I always love this event. You guys bring such great energy. Thank you so much for having us. Um, it's such a pleasure to always partner with Startup Grind. This is our sixth year. I think when they started, there was about 200 people. So you guys have really <laughs> multiplied. I'm very proud. Um, and it's an honor to have Lorraine here. Lorraine is an incredible leader at Google. She really has led our marketing from day one. Um, she was the first marketing hire in Europe. And if you think about it, Google has eight billion or eight products that have a billion users or more. And those products are really fueled by the marketing behind them. And she is truly the leader who does this and the mastermind behind the vision and the execution and building that team. So it is an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. Not at all. I, I love being here. I still f- feel that some days at Google we feel like a startup. I know that sounds crazy, but it certainly feels that way a lot of the time. So I'm um, happy to talk a bit about the learnings along the way. When I joined, it was a very small, small team and small place. It feels different today, but still crazy. It's amazing. Still crazy. Yeah. Well, as you can tell by her accent, she's yeah. not from here. You grew up in rural Ireland, yeah. and then you worked in Europe. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to work at this startup called Google? Well, I was working in a couple of different startups in London. This is back you know, 2001, 2002. The internet was really taking off back over in Europe. And um, I was working in a travel startup, and we were using you know, Google AdWords to get our traffic up as we launched each country in Europe as a way to dial up our traffic for our site. And so I, Google didn't really have any people in Europe then. So I got to know some of the folks who were coming over. And they just said to me, come over and visit us. So I said, cool. And I thought I was going over as a client <laughs> to visit. But they started asking me all these questions about Europe. And I realized quite quickly I was being interviewed. And by interview four, I'd kind of gotten my story down. And 22 conversations later, you know, oh uh, involving beanbags and dogs <laughs> and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, I realized that they were serious and, and they were, they were going to build out the teams in Europe. And, you know, I joined and it, it was amazing. And at the time, you know, my dad thought I was nuts to join. He's like, who were these people? Yeah. Google was very small, certainly very small in Europe. And there were a lot of very big competitors in every country. And um, when I joined, you know, there were like 20 people in the London office. It was a Regis office. We didn't even have a meeting room. Um, we were all in one room. We used to have meetings in the park. 
and I had to buy a fridge because we, you know, we had, it was a hot spell. We'd know where to put our drinks, and we didn't know how to pay for things. So I used my credit card, and you know, nothing was worked out back then. Um, but you know, and when I joined, we just had search, and we, which was fantastic because. I could spend a lot of time, like in my early, day, early days at Google, you know, a lot of nights on the phone with the US and traveling over to the US a lot, but it was a super exciting time because we were just beginning to start launching products into Europe and bringing, launching new, all of our new, newer products like Gmail and Maps and uh, Street View and YouTube and, you know, um, it was just it, it's such a privilege to work with the product guys and the engineers back then on those products and help them, you know, launch them and bring them to Europe. So, it was, you know, when I joined, we just, it was super, super simple. It was one product, you know, it was search and that was it. And then, of course, we launched a lot of new stuff. Yeah, and then, and then the history was made, right? Yeah. Um, well, as this audience knows, along every startup journey, there's lots yeah. of bumps and challenges. And I would love to hear about some of the toughest challenges that you had in those early days, kind of getting Google started in yeah. Europe. Well, I think the big one, um, especially being the most senior person outside of the US at the time, was internationalization. So everything was built for one big country, the US. And um, you'd build a product for the US, you'd build a new feature for the US, and then after you'd launched the US, you would think about how do you build country number two? And country number yeah. two was, as, was harder than country number 10 because it was, you almost had to rethink your entire infrastructure to be able to launch the product in a bunch of countries. Mm -hmm. um, plus, you obviously had translation and, in many cases, for our products, licensing and local laws. Um, in the UK, I had to keep pointing out we spell words differently than in the US. You know, you, had to, you couldn't just assume like it was all Spanish everywhere, all English everywhere. We assumed a lot of those things in the beginning, and then you realized you actually had to get that right. <laughs> uh, even we talked earlier about drop-down menus of countries. We didn't even agree which countries we were going to. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was a lot of that, of that uh, what we would call localization meetings and getting internationalization right. And today, we have that down pat. Like, we're an execution machine. We have product launch processes. We, it's clearly defined, but really, but I, you know, in those early days, you know, going from one country to, you know, even to two or three or five countries was really hard. And it was super frustrating at the time for me because um, we were coming an R&D center for startups. You know, so mm -hmm. people would see us launch a great product in the US and then they would all launch it in their own countries because yeah. it was taking us so long to get from the US to, say, European countries or Asian countries. Uh, and so getting that thinking before you launch country number one, mm -hmm. that you will go to country two and country three and country five, and thinking about that in your underlying infrastructure at the very beginning, I think was a hugely steep learning curve for us, and just getting, getting that right. I think another thing, especially in the, in, in the growing pains of the earlier days, was um, prioritization. So yeah. Google's always been a let a thousand flowers bloom kind yes. of country <laughs> co company. It's an and company. Uh, you know, we should do that, we should do that. And, and you know, that's, especially when you have scarce resources and in the earlier days and smaller teams, just knowing how to prioritize, the discipline of prioritization, that's when we brought in things like 70-20-10, which is something we've used for years, which is 70% of our efforts and our people go on the top core things, 20% on newer, newer features that are clearly defined, and 10% on these crazy things that turn into, may or not turn into Google X or other things, but this, it's just 10%. And that allows a release valve for innovation. It's great for recruitment, folks that get excited about that stuff, but it means that you've got the majority of your resources on the 70 and the 20. That was important for us. Um, things like P0, P1, P2, you know, we still use that today where everything on a roadmap is, is it a P0, is it a P1, like in terms of prioritization. Yep. We all understand that language at Google. We use that language in meetings as shorthand for, well, that's a P1, we not get to it, it's, is it a P0? And that is huge. Everyone understands that language and we're all in it to, to, together. And then I think, you know, OKRs, which you know very, very well, yeah. we're obsessed about. It's OKR season, you know, objectives and key results. The whole company is run by that. Everyone understands their objectives and key results. We grade them and we're transparent about the grading to the whole company. Yeah. So we have been since the very beginning. 
uh, each quarter. We do annual OKRs, and then we do quarterly that roll up to the annual ones, and we grade them quarterly so everyone knows where we stand and how we're doing. We deliberately make them aspirational and hard. So mm -hmm. even if you get a 70% of your OKR, that's an achievement. Um, so that they're, they're hard to get to. They should never be, be easy. And I think that, that's been part of our culture since, since the beginning. So those are all things that I think, um, you know, that prioritization, we worked hard to try and get that right and have uh, a, a culture around that. And then I think prioritization for leaders is something that I've learned definitely the, the hard way, especially in those growing pains. And we're, we're, even, even now, though, like Sundar, my boss, who, who, who's the CEO of Google, you know, he, you know he, he gave me some great advice a few years ago, which is like your team, you know, they'll run, they'll, keep, they'll do the day, like they'll, they'll get stuff down, let yeah. them get through their jobs. You pick three things that you as a leader are going to worry about. And those three things can change and they will change. Mm -hmm. But at any given time, like go deep on three things where you're most needed right now. Yeah. And, you know, and then the rest will be fine. You check in with them, they'll keep going. And, you know, that's been really good for me in, in terms of focusing my time and energy and, you know, leadership uh, focus. And I think also related to that is getting out of the way. I think yeah. as you grow, I remember my team saying to me, you know, you can no longer interview everybody we hire. You're in the way. You are a bottleneck. You are officially a bottleneck. Because I wanted to interview everyone who came into my team because I care deeply about who came into my team. And this is when I was still in the UK. And, you know, they were like, no, you're now a bottleneck. You can't, we were at 100 people. It doesn't scale. Yeah, and you know now I can't even I can't even interview the senior folks joining my team. You know, I was like, where, where where do I where do I draw the line? So you know, just getting knowing when to get out of the way, and knowing knowing um, as the teams grow, um, just roles, responsibilities. You know, who's doing what? That's another thing where we had growing pains. Was you know, we we're hiring people, but then we did not, we never spent time defining roles and responsibilities. That sounded like you know non-cool work. Yeah. And but it's critical because people joined and they were like, okay, that person's. You know, I, I thought I was doing that, and just you just have to make the time to define roles and responsibilities, especially as you build new teams. Was really important. And then another thing I would say, last thing on this one is is um, for as long as you can stay in one building. I think yeah. the co-location of different functions and being together is so important. And I still, when I go over, you know, I travel uh, a lot for Google and I go to visit our international offices where we're all still in one in building. I miss those days. Yeah. I miss those days so much. And, you know, as, you, as, your, as your company grows and you end up needing more space, spreading out across a couple of buildings or a couple of floors, it's just hard, harder. You, you don't have those serendipitous conversations. And so if you do have to do that, you know, make sure you don't do it by function. So I think one thing that Google's done very, very well, like all of our YouTube folks are together, no matter what function is, my marketing folks on YouTube or with the engineers on YouTube or with the mm -hmm. PR folks on YouTube or with the product managers and business folks on YouTube, and they're all together. So they feel like a, a large startup within yeah. Google. Hardware is the same. They're all together. And we don't separate out by function. And I think that's really important so that you have this empowerment and autonomy. You know, it's all about getting, getting out of the way. But you also have those serendipitous conversations, those moments outside of the meetings that we know are like critical for progress. And you have that up against it, one team dynamic that we've managed to keep that despite our size. And it's because we have this culture of like, everyone's in there together, we're up against it, we have these crazy OKRs, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna go for it as a team, and we're, it's gonna be bumpy, we're gonna do our best. And we still have that culture even despite our size. And it's, a lot of it's because we've thought about those things. Yeah, I think it makes a big difference. I mean, even I've yeah. I noticed when you come to Google or at Google, we all eat together at lunch, and it was so deliberate early days yeah. of saying we should actually bond as people, as humans, because this is what fuels our company, not just our great OKRs, right? And the time that yeah. we spent together on beanbags back yeah, then. Yeah, exactly. We're not yeah. quite as beanbag heavy as we used to be. No. Um, and I think about some great advice you mentioned too is 
really thinking about from day one, what kind of company you want to be, how do you think of yourself as a leader. I think as you get to 10, 15, 20 people, there's already areas you can get out of the way, right? Yeah, um, and so for many of these founders, it's knowing sort of where to play in that. Yeah. I think one big challenge that founders have, especially on the marketing side, is there are so many platforms. We have dozens of platforms across social and new media types in the US. If you even think internationally, you're getting into a whole other fragmented market. And it would just be great to hear some of your advice on how these companies should think about bringing their product to market. What are some of the best practices in this very noisy world full of thousands of platforms? And how do you know if they're even effective? Well, we, we certainly try everything. <laughs> we try everything, but we measure everything. Obviously, Google being data-led cu culture and company, we, we obsess about results and impact. And uh, you know, we are obviously very fortunate that we have a large ads engineering team who builds some of the best digital ads products out there. So we get to try those products and test them out for them and you know, give them feedback, which, of course, they love. And um, you know, that's, that's an opportunity for us. But you know, I think it's super important. I would start with. Um, well, the biggest mistake I find a lot of the engineers and product folks I work with do is they try and talk about every feature they have on their product. Yeah. And you know, you just have to pick a, pick a couple of winners. You have to pick a few, and you can do that through research, or just through, even if it's just your, your, your own gut instinct or what you really think. But you've really got to lead with one or a couple of things and talk about those things, rather than trying to talk about everything. It's just too much. Mm -hmm. And then I think um, simplifying the language. Like a lot of the mistakes I see are people are using, the, they talk about specs, for example. Yeah. Uh, the, the, simplify the language and why it actually matters to, to, to someone uh, um, in a very relatable, simple way. And that's something that we've worked hard on is language. For all of the technology in the world, the basics of like copy and great yeah. writing and great la simple language is actually as critical, if not more critical than ever. At the end of the day, like a, you know, a banner ad is just like a digital billboard. Like the words you put on it matter. are super valuable. They really matter. Now we test everything as well. So we have a lot of A/B testing. We have testing frameworks for everything. So whether we're doing you know a social media campaign, a, you know a digital campaign, YouTube campaign, whatever it is, we we'll A/B test. We are obsessed about like conversion funnels. So we will test all the way through um, all kinds of options there to hone and hone and optimize. We obsess about warm welcomes to products, sign up pages. Some of the biggest learnings I had over the years is just the the, you know the the heavy duty of like across like four or five months of tweaking tweaking and optimizing a sign up page one page the difference it can make even on mature products yep. I can still see double digit percentage growth just by you know working on the on the words the language um, like we hired one person she was a behavioral scientist and the impact that one person had even on quite mature products just because she understood you know, principles of language and the principles of, principles of behavioral science something that I, I you know something I've never under, known. And uh, it was just extraordinary, even at the stage of Google size, one person can have such an impact still. And it was because she knew how to ask these questions, how to do these kinds of tests. So you know, a lot of our, our work is around, it's not, it's not the sexy stuff, but it's the stuff that really works, is the warm welcomes, the uh, app store optimization. I obsess about app store optimization. We've moved a lot of our apps way up um, you know, uh, Android and iOS uh, app stores through app store optimization, ratings, all that stuff, notifications, warm welcome, sign-ups. Like we've developed a toolkit in those areas. And the reason why I talk about this is it's the largely free stuff. Yeah. And it's super easy to bypass that to stuff you pay for. But doing this stuff well and continuously doing it, even in more mature, you know, uh, where you think you've done, you're done. I mean, ad products like AdWords, products like Chrome, very mature products. We are still today optimizing those pages all the time. 
and improving the results. So I, I'm obsessed about that. That's a religion for, for us. In terms of the stuff that we go out and, and, and pay for, again, we do a lot of A-B testing, and, yeah. and, um, and it's really about uh, results. And it's very hard to compare a lot of these different platforms because they're not on one measurement, measurement platform. So you have to try and find a way. You can't quite compare apples to apples. Just try and find a way to, to, to use all your different data sources to try and tell a story, and that's the, that's the hard part. But um, we definitely have a toolkit now that we, that we use a lot. We're an unusual advertiser in that we were a very large advertiser, but mm -hmm. we're 75% digital. So we okay. do use TV and outdoor and other, other media, and we love them, but we are very heavily a digital advertiser because it gives us great flexibility, and we can dial up and dial down, and it's just really yeah. worked for us, and we can measure it. We do love video. Yeah. I, I'm a storyteller, <laughs> so I love... You know, I do think we are performance-led in terms of results. We spend a lot on mobile ads, for example, which we find very effective, very, very effective for us. But um, I also love work that not just makes you do something, but makes you think something and feel something. It's something I talk about a lot with my team. And I think mm -hmm. it's the difference between building a product and building a brand, yeah. is you need to have that emotional connection. You need to have, you know, reach people's imagination. You need to have empathy. And, you know, there's the short-term driving traffic to your product, and then there's the medium to long-term building a, a brand that can stand the test of time, and they're different exercises. Mm -hmm. So having a mix in your, in your spend that's short-term performance-led and drives results, but also allowing some space for, you know, more purpose-led work, longer-term building that brand, um, a more emotive work, like something like we, what we just saw um, with Google Translate, you know, that there needs to be a place for that too. Yeah. In an engineering culture like Google's, you know, everyone runs to the performance-led stuff, and part of my job has been to teach folks that actually having the performance-led stuff, but also the emotive brand stuff together mm -hmm. actually drives really great results, more better results, and is, it accrues to the company over time, and that's been a journey that, that we've been through. Sorry, yeah. it's a very long answer. Well, I think yeah. one thing is amazing is Google has retained its personality as a yeah. brand, and I think that that's because we really have built this ethos around yeah. marketing. It's just, this is who we are, and yeah. it doesn't matter if it's performance marketing. We haven't lost the creative, fun yeah. aspects. I always think about Chrome, like when your Chrome browser fails, it says like, oh, snap, you know, and you have this great little dinosaur. Um, and I think that just infusing what is human and what feels like part of our brand and is it's part of our values into every kind of experience that a user has is so critical. Well, that was Larry from the beginning for us. Like yep. he, he, this playfulness is soup came from our founders. And again, as you get bigger, not losing the, the what your founders really wanted, not making sure you, you, you keep that soul. And, you know, I remember when we were updating our T's and C's, we said not the usual yada yada, which by the yeah. way is does not translate. <laughs> So wearing my internationalization hat is a disaster. <laughs> I can't translate that. But in the US, at least, it was funny. You know, uh, um, you know, rather than saying, like, hey, read our new T's and C's. You yeah. know, and we knew we'd get, you know, most people are trying to hide that stuff. We wanted to get people's attention and say, hey, you should pay attention to this. So we did something. And then the, do the doodles is the gift that keeps on giving, I think. Like, the, I, I can't think of another company that would let anybody just, you know, play with their corporate logo. Most companies yeah. have giant. And let kids play with guidelines. Their corporate logo. And we let Doodle for Google is one of my favorite projects. But we let kids yep. design our Doodle doodles, and we put the kids' work on our on our homepage, which makes me very proud and their parents very proud, obviously. <laughs> so you always have this mom and dad who are super super proud. But you know, I think that playfulness, um, the all snap, all those little moments, not losing those as mm -hmm. you grow and having them there, from, uh, knowing when to when to use that, because if you overuse it. It's too much. Yep. And of course, you have to be in a serious business. You have to build serious products that work and, that, and are services that work for people. But having that humanity, it's really about humanity, that there's faces behind a product. And especially when you are our products that, are, that exist within devices, yep. they exist within a computer or within a phone, 
just having a little bit of humanity and a little bit of soul come through, I think, is, is usually important. I've always really cared about that, and it's been something that came from our founders, and we've really always tried to keep it through the products. Yeah, I see it all the time, and I hear about it from people, yeah. whether it's a great doodle that they loved or some experience that kind of delighted them throughout a Google product. Yeah. Um, well, 2018 was a bit of a challenging year, especially for big tech companies, including Google. Yeah. And I would just love to hear how this last year and sort of the experiences have changed and shaped your strategy moving forward. Well, the first thing I would say is, you know, it, it, it comes when you get bigger. Yeah. So I hope you're all in that situation someday, <laughs> you know? It's, it's uh, uh, I think we've always known that as you get bigger as a company, you just really have to grow up, you mm -hmm. know? And we're already 20 years old as a company still, so we're in those growing pains still. And you have to have demonstrate, demonstrate and show that you have a greater sense of responsibility as you get bigger as a company. And so we've known that, and we've been doing a lot of things over the years. Um, and so we're very committed to that. We're really committed to being a positive contributor to society. Yep. And we care deeply about that in all the countries we go into. What is our role and how can we be, we be good neighbors? How are we a net, net positive contributor to society in creating jobs and creating economic impact, in helping people in education? And so that's been really important to us and we'll, we will continue to that. I also feel like you know, tech in general is getting a bit of a hard time right now. So I wanna, I wanna you know, that's, that's again why you, know, we, we, you put this video in the, in the Super Bowl and I got a ton of great response because I wanted to, um, you know, remind people of the positive impact of technology yes. in the world and on society. And, you know, I, I believe information is a, is a fundamental human right. Google played a huge part in bringing information to everybody and giving, no matter where you were in the world, having access to information, having access to the world's information, you know, for, from rural towns, like, all over the world. I certainly didn't have it where I grew up in rural Ireland, you know, <laughs> and now everyone does. And, and it's, it's amazing. And I think the internet's an amazing thing. And right now, it's easy bash the internet. So yeah. I, I want to make sure we remind people that, sure, there's work to do, mm -hmm. no doubt, but there's also great positives. But on top of that also, you know, we, we know that in all the research we do, and I'm a big believer in research, I'm a big believer in talking to our users, talking to customers, and listening to them. I think it's a huge role that marketing can play in a company, mm -hmm. is know your audience, know your audience, spend time with them, understand them. Um, and that's actually a huge role like, that my team played, even in the early days with the product folks and engineers, is just really being the outside in, being the voice of reason, the voice of the customer, the voice of the normal human being. Yep. Uh, um, and I think um, you know, what's been clear to us in all of our research is the number one concern people have with Google is privacy, is, is, is all, all the, all, everything we know about somebody and then how we use that. And we've worked to do. We, we, you know, we've done a lot of great work. We launched um, you know, six controls in one page, so you can turn mm -hmm. those controls on and off. You don't want us to remember your search history. You just turn it off. Same for the videos you've watched on YouTube. Same for personalized ads. You just, same for location history. Making it simple. You just make it simple. Yep. You know, all in one place. It, it was all over the place. Even you couldn't find it. It was in different places and different products. Now, all those six, six controls, they're all on one page. Mm -hmm. You can access them through your account, and you just turn them on or off. And so that was hugely important. We launched a few months ago our Global Safety Center, where we have our privacy principles and family safety and all the stuff we're doing there. Um, and um, so all of those things and more. And we'll do a lot yeah. more this year, because we know that's people's biggest concern with us. Um, and we want to make sure that we you know, make people feel like that we've got their backs, that we are on top of it, that we're very careful with their data. We're keeping them safe and that we're, yeah. we're very respectful of their data and that ultimately it's their data and the user is in, is in control. Yeah, and, and so we, feels yeah. it feels transparent for yeah. them as well. Yeah, and I don't think we've been as transparent as we could have been in the past. Mm -hmm. we've, been busy, we've been busy building great products, building great <laughs> features, and we didn't prioritize that. We didn't prioritize that part. Mm -hmm. So now it's really about 
treating privacy as a product. Yes. And in which, you know, that's the language you have to use in a place like Google to get the product managers and engineers excited about it, is if, you, if privacy was a product, what features would you build? Mm -hmm. And we did that last year with digital well-being. You know, we said, let's, let's treat it like a product. And so we built some really cool features, like a little dashboard on Android so you can see what apps you've used and what time you've used in them, yeah. like family links so parents can manage their kids' time. You know, when you treat it as a product and you get product and, and engineering brains obsessing about it, because they can go build things, mm -hmm. you launch some really cool features. Yep. Uh, and so I want to do the same thing now around privacy, just like we did around digital well-being. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Um, and I, you know, I see us also leading the industry with app developers and other things to ensure yeah. that they also yeah. infuse that in their products yes. so that we're also yes. leading an industry. Yes. Um, one area, other area you've been really a strong advocate for is for diversity and inclusion and for women. Um, and you do this both at Google and in, in, in the industry. And I would just yeah. love to hear a little bit more about that. Well, it's funny, I often get asked to speak on women's, pan women's panels, and um, you know, the first thing is always like, there's no women in tech, but there's no women in advertising either. <laughs> advertising is actually probably worse, if anything. So there's I mean, two industries that are, you know, well, actually you just, tech. I will tell you, she just won the Keynes, she was awarded the Keynes Creative uh, Marketer of the Year. She's only the second woman ever in 25 years yeah. to win this award. Thank you. So, and it was amazing. I, I listened to her speech and she, very humbly said, it's a little bit sad that I'm here. A little and bit lonely. A so, little bit yeah. lonely, yeah. right? It's lonely up here, and I hope that this changes. I think I was the only female winner that night of any award. You know, it's just, and that's the advertising industry. And so tech, at least, you know, I work at a company that has a plan. Yeah. Whereas I'm not sure that the, the advertising industry has a plan. And only 3% of creative directors are women, which means that, you know, the creative directors are the folks who do all the work, who write all the stories. And think of all, there's like 3 million ads put in the world every day. And they're all mostly done by men, and mm. you, you you just you can't you can't have that. Mm. So we I, I'm I'm obsessing about like as a female senior large advertiser, you know how how do we make sure that we have our house in in, in good shape, and then tell others what we're doing. Yeah. So for example, we used um, machine learning stuff we work we done with the Gina Davis Institute. Um, to see how many women were in movies. We've used that on our own, all of our own websites, visuals, you know. Uh, and actually, we had 53% male and 47% females in all of our work. Um, but we were, we, we were too young. We were like 10 years younger than the average age in the US. And, and then when you look a little level, a level deeper, you know, who's holding the product in each video? Who's, yeah. who's holding, you know, who's the, who's the protagonist? You know, uh, voiceovers on videos, is it male or female? Voice, mm -hmm. It's called a voice of God in my industry. The voiceover video is called, you know, yes. it's often at <laughs> people, you know, and then if you've got creative directors, what do they pick? They pick a guy to be the voiceover. Suddenly it's the voice that's telling you. And I still have these conversations in my team where I'm saying, why don't we aren't using women's voice? And they'll will say things to me like, well, the man's voice sounds, you know, like more authoritative. I'm yes. like, you've got to be kidding me, you know? <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, there's just a lot of work to do in making sure that we have our, you know, I mean, another example, I, I'm just sharing the stuff that I see in my own team. You know, a few years ago, this team brought me this, this video and they were so proud. I was like a dad at home in the kitchen with the kids, because I'm just desperate to get women out of the kitchen in all ads. <laughs> it was a dad at home cooking with the kids, and he was, you know, cooking with the kids using one of our products and looking up the recipe, and off he was. This was great. And then, of course, as we're getting to the end of this, this ad, it's going to be a 60-second video, you know, where's mom off having a baby? And I went nuts. I said, no, <laughs> she's not off having a baby. She's on a business trip. <laughs> like, you know, it's a... Uh, also, know, I have a lot of questions about that. And, you know, I mean, you know, it was a learning moment for them. 
you know, I'm just getting, getting this stuff uh, cleaned up and no stereotypes, far more diversity. At the end of the day, we're telling stories in a multicultural world. So again, now that I've gotten us to a much better place in terms of you know, gender, I'm really very focused now on far more African-Americans, far more Hispanic. Uh, content, we, even just the content that we create out there, how much of it is in Spanish for the US, for example. Mm -hmm. The thing I was looking at is our retail fixtures. We have retail fixtures in 58,000 stores uh, across a ton of stores in, in the US where in states where they should be bilingual. They are yep. not bilingual anywhere. Yep. You know, so how do we, like there's just a lot of work to do and that's awesome. And we were on this and we were, we've been on this for a while. Um, but the only way you get there is by hiring diverse teams. Mm -hmm. And it's by, it's by from the get-go. And, and I've literally become like, oh, this is very kind of you. We're not there yet. <laughs> but uh, you have to become the lead recruiter. Like you can't delegate this one. Yeah. And everywhere I go, I, I, I was t telling her, everywhere I go, I'm like, hi, how are you? You know, what do you do? <laughs> I'm like, I'm constantly looking for people. And it's the only way because you have to build a truly diverse team. And you know, my team, for example, is 56% female now. And we're almost 50-50 at every level, even at the most senior levels. But now I'm working hard on, you know, how many African-Americans do I have? How many Hispanics do I have? You know, how do we make sure we bring in more diverse talent from across the industry? Um, and how do we do that for every team? And how do we do that externally? And how do I encourage other teams? Like, for example, I work with a ton of agencies and they're often the, the, the worst. Yeah. And so now we're setting guidelines for all of our agencies, not just for the teams they have in our business. Like once I was in a meeting, I, no joke, I'm sitting in a room with an agency, a very large agency, one of the biggest and the best in the world. And, you know, um, the brief is, Pixel, the phone, needs to appeal to women as well as men. It's a beautiful phone designed for that. How do we make sure we're reaching women? Yep. And I have 15 men telling me <laughs> how, how it's going to work, how we're going to reach women. <laughs> and I just stopped and said, does anyone see the, irony of, see the <laughs> irony of this? And how do I get some women on this business? And also, by the way, there was one uh, really cool young um, uh, Hispanic guy who, who, who knew of a feature that I didn't even know of mm -hmm. because he was going from two flipping languages and we had this really killer feature which we, we needed to talk about. So just yeah. by having one, one, you know, one person in the room who was diverse, he added tremendous value. So, you know, we have a million stories like this. So just having much more diverse, uh, you know, diversity breeds much better ideas and much better work. It's been proven time, time and time over, but it's just hard to get there. And you ha it's all about recruitment. I think it's, it has to yeah. be very intentional to your point. It has to be very intentional. And then the other the big thing I learned last year, which I was naive about, was it's not just about hiring. I just assumed we just get them into Google, they'll be happy. Yeah. It's not the case. Like you have to, they come in, they get the shock of their lives because you know we haven't got enough diversity. So you know, onboarding folks, making them sure that they have a warm welcome, um, building a community, mm -hmm. retaining people, investing in that. I've had to work yeah. a lot harder on investing and retaining and building community so that everybody who joins, no matter what their background is, no matter where they come from, that they feel very welcome mm -hmm. and that they feel very valued is, is, is work. It's real yeah. work and, and it's, it's not, you know, I, that we had not done well until just recently when I, when I spent time listening to people and they were sharing their stories and I knew we'd work to do. Yeah. So it's a journey. Well, we actually earlier, I don't know if many of you are at the growth stage, but we announced a partnership as Google for Startups. One of the core values we have as a team and always have is to focus on supporting diverse founders and leveling the playing field. Because as you know, it's all about having a great network and it's having access to talent, information, people, and not everyone has the same exact privilege. Um, so we announced on the other stage earlier a partnership with Founder Gym. I don't know if Mandela Dixon is in here. I'm sure she is. If she is, she should stand up. We can give her a holler. Uh, Founder Gym is an all-online program. It provides uh, support for founders from diverse backgrounds to help them become investor and capital ready. And we're going to provide scholarships to people. Um, they've had 175 alumni to date. They've only been around for one year. 
and the alumni have raised $35 million. So it's absolutely incredible to see this type of innovation happening both within Google, but with great partners like Founder Jim. So congratulations. Let's see where she is. If you see her, you can't miss her. She's like, Mandel's probably the most energetic person in this room. So I'm sure you'll all meet her before the day's over. All right, one last question. If you had one piece of advice for a product or startups who are getting ready to put their product out in the market, what's your advice? Well, I thought outside when I met Mandela's five startups here, yes. you know, when they told me what they were doing, like, it's exactly what I saw in the early days at Google. It's, it's the difference between, you know, I work a lot with product managers and engineers, and sometimes they'll have a great feature that they'll think is great, you know, so I would say to them, imagine you're doing a Mad Lib and you have to fill out, this product is great because it solves this problem for this person. Yep. Can you fill that out? Like, what's the why? Everyone runs into execution mode on the what, but what's the why? Why does the world need this? What problem, big or small, does it solve? And I, and I saw that even just meeting these startups earlier today. Like, they, they really thought about that. They, all the products that they were launching, there was a clear use case. Yep. There was a clear use case for them, a clear need for them. They were solving a problem. And you could see why somebody would want to use that. Like, and we, that's where, we have, where we've made mistakes over the years is where we were launching something for competitive reasons or because we needed to catch up or because someone just thought it was a good idea. But whenever you're solving a problem, that, launching a product that solves a problem and that creates a daily habit or a regular use case, like, that is when life gets a lot, a lot easier. Like, it just, yeah. People just get it. And it, it makes knowing a huge, the why. huge difference. Knowing the why. Why are people going to use this? Yeah. Well, Lorraine, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for imparting all your knowledge and joining Great us. We really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at an event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.